Have you ever wondered why some business people are more successful than others? Welcome to The Mentor List, a source of sound advice with your host, David Lewis. The Mentor List specializes in interviews with top business minds. Listen to their stories, list their habits, and most importantly, gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Today, David speaks to the turnaround merchant Malcolm Jackman. Prior CEO of Manpower Australia, Coates Hire and Elders Limited, Malcolm is now Chief Executive of the SA Fire and Emergency Services Commission. We hope you enjoy today's conversation with Malcolm Jackman here on The Mentor List. All right, well, Malcolm Jackman, welcome to The Mentor List. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. No worries. It's great to have you here. It's great to hear you've been listening in in your tour of, where, where did you say you've South been? Australia. South so Australia. I, I did about 1,000 K earlier in the week, so yeah. you get to listen to a few podcasts on the way through, so it's good. Good, good. Some better than, than others. and oh, They're all different. Yeah. They, they, they're different approach, different styles, etc. cetera. Uh, I sort of note that probably you've had fewer corporate warriors like me, yes. more the entrepreneurial, self-made sort of speak, so yep. I suspect this will be a little different to some of the others. Yeah, and then, and we've actually got a few in the pipeline now, yeah. so it's, uh, it'll be a good balance. Good. Um, yeah, we've had some CEOs, but not CEOs three, four, uh, you know, however many times you've, you've um, yeah. been the chief. Um, so I guess, yeah, the first question, I won't make it different, so <laughs> we'll, we'll stick to the formula. Is, do you want to tell the listeners about yourself? Yeah, so look, um, and let me let me start at the end rather than okay. the beginning because it actually gives some some context to, to how where I am. And uh, so I describe myself. I'm in the the late afternoon of my career, um, and I'm doing what I describe as being my community service part of my career in right. terms of I'm putting back into. Uh, what has been the very lucky country for me. Uh, and so I'm doing uh, things that are more focused around returning the favour to society. Um, I'm working for government, I'm in fire and emergency services as the, uh, the chief executive of the South Australian Fire and Emergency Services mm -hmm. Commission, which is obviously very community focused. Um, I do a little bit of mentoring. I'm mentoring three people at the moment, which I just do because I like doing it, yep. like, uh, it's not a profession or anything. And I do a little bit of, uh, I have one board and I do a little bit of charity board work as well. So it's more focused around doing things that I think are putting back into society and returning the yep. favour and using my experience uh, to, to help other people. Um, so, and so that's where we are right now. Um, that journey started nearly 65 years wow. ago uh, in New Zealand um, yep. and uh, born into a very average, uh, very loving uh, middle class family. Is okay. it in Wellington? In Wellington yep. in New Zealand um, and then um, at the tender age of 17, about three months over the age of 17, I joined the New Zealand Navy and then signed a piece of paper that said I would serve in the, the Royal New Zealand Navy for the next 12 years wow. uh, with no right of uh, exit, uh, which to most of people that uh, perhaps uh, under the age of 40 might sound like insanity, but that was just the way the world was in uh, the beginning of 1970. Um, and I actually ended up staying in the Navy for 
nearly 15 years uh, yep. and had a great time. Um, I trained, uh, Navy put me through university and then I put myself through another degree and I did one in pure and applied maths and then later in accounting uh, and I've been clever enough not to practice either of those <laughs> professions. Um, Yep. And uh, and I trained as a seaman officer, a deck officer, and then as a warfare officer, an advanced warfare officer, uh, and obviously learnt a lot about life, a lot about leadership, a lot about management, uh, making decisions, uh, making critical decisions with uh, paucity of information and and uh, in even shorter periods of time. So, uh, so I had a wonderful time, um, but. Towards the end of it, it became clear to me that I just kept getting moved uh, and the Navy had a wonderful thing of sending you to the other side of the world and if you went for less than 12 months, you went, as they called it then, married unaccompanied, which gave you some money but not a lot, you funded most of it yourself. So the Navy yeah. was sending me broke almost on, right. on the way through. And I also came to the realisation that whilst I could have had a stellar career in the Navy, um, I was going to spend most of my time behind a desk uh, and most of my mates outside the Navy were starting to make careers and uh, earn a lot more money and I seemed to be forever broke so I decided yep. that was the time I was going to get out of the Navy. I never, I don't regret any of that time, okay, uh, and you know at 25 I was driving a patrol craft and going away for six weeks at a time and mm me and 20 sailors and a couple of officers. So it was great fun and, yeah. and great time. Um, the, so in the process of looking for a job, okay, I was offered a job in recruitment yep. um, and I actually stayed in recruitment for the best part of 20 years. Uh, I started off in a small, small company doing exec recruiting uh, and suddenly realised I was really good at it uh, and could make a truckload of money out of it mm. so that was a because there's really good money in exec recruiting and like it certainly was back then it was uh and uh so yeah it was good and uh and they spent some time went out by ourselves got taken out by uh, a company called adia which is which was one of the two companies that formed what's now known as a deco which is a name yep. well known here and around the world etc um, and uh, found myself uh, working first in New Zealand, then coming here to Australia in the early 90s, uh, and then ending up uh, going to the US and working in the US, and yep. then getting hit under out of there to come back to Australia to take over a company called Manpower. That uh, is not a, the dancing one. Not the dancing. <laughs> if uh, if you think I can make a living taking my clothes off, uh, you're a very sick puppy, is all I can say. Okay. Uh, and um, and in that process, um, Manpower had uh, was then number one in the world, largest yep. recruitment company, huge US multinational listed and the stock has changed, part of the Fortune 500 still is, etc. Um, and they had a, an old franchise here in Australia. The franchisee wanted to retire and so the corporation bought it out. The guy that had accountability for that tracked me down and the US offered me an opportunity to come back to Australia and that's what I did. Um, and uh, we took uh, manpower from a sort of $20 million business to yep. a $400 million business. 
over about a five-year period um, and and again had a, a truckload of fun uh, doing that um, and there was a real there's a real uh, camaraderie when you are pumping a business and growing it absolutely yeah. flat out um, and in some periods particularly in the early part in the first couple of years particularly in spring where you know we did a lot of industrial temp labor and stuff like that uh, the business just cranked. We were growing at some weeks five, five, and sometimes ten percent a week compounding. Oh my god! Okay. okay. Uh, and the reason why I remember that is, is that it would have been '96, maybe something like that, maybe '97. But uh, we nearly ran out of cash. Okay. And yep. and we the Americans funded us directly. We had no, we didn't even have an overdraft here. That it was just the way yep. they set up the treasury function. And uh, we, we knew we were perilously close and, and we got mm. caught with the, the Thanksgiving holiday and everybody in, in the US oh. went home on a Wednesday night and didn't come home till, back to work till oh. the Monday. Okay. Uh, and we, yeah. were, we were struggling to make payroll. Um, and so, um, so we did a lot of exciting things big co- and it was really the beginning of temp recruitment in terms of the yep. big contracts and the volume contracts major accounts uh, and we had some of the biggest accounts there we did a lot of work around introducing casual tellers into the uh, into the banking system particularly with Combank Uh, (coughs) struck our own EBA to be able to do that we took over and they still hold the uh, the defense recruiting contract to recruit people into the the Australian Defense Force they all go through a manpower defense recruiting uh, center, etc. Um, so there's lots of new and exciting stuff doing that, um, and I think that sort of started to shape where were some of my core competencies, which then came about when I went to Coates High, um, right. and that was really around the fact that my one of my key strengths is around running uh, businesses that are highly transactional by nature. Um, business to business, uh, very large volumes of invoicing, low margin business, uh, yep. and and these big networks, and the ability to, to run now labour hire to uh, to equipment hire. There's not a lot of similarities. One's a big balance sheet business, one's not, yep. etc. But that sort of highly transactional nature was part and parcel. And I was lucky enough to uh, get offered the job at CE of Chief Executive of um, of Kotar, which yep. uh, was the largest rental company here in Australia. Transpired to be one of the top ten rental companies in the world, uh, and I took over from a wonderful guy called Jim Brown, who had been the, the CE for, for nearly twenty years. Um, yep. And uh, the, the board was very hesitant about how they were going to make the transition uh, between a, such a long-standing sea. But Jim and I had a number of mutual interests. We were both boat nuts. Yep. Um, and we got on absolutely famous. We actually ended up having a six-month handover, believe it or not, Jeez, uh, which is very rare, okay, yeah. uh, but worked exceptionally well. And, Either Jim was the chief executive and I was the managing director or the other way around. I can't remember yeah. who got what title. Jim was quick to handball me all the stuff he didn't <laughs> yeah, like. Okay, very quickly. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, we sort of went into budget process and he said, Malcolm, it's your budget. 
it's going to be your budget, you yep. take it. And we just progressively handed things on and we travelled extensively together uh, and it was really nice to, to be working with somebody that was just happy to, to be passing on his baby, okay, which it was, okay, uh, and then to, uh, to learn from him everything he knew uh, and then work out the culture, to understand the culture so that I could then take my style go yep. for it like I mean we're going back to uh, the so we were talking when are we talking 2003 yeah like Jim didn't even have a computer on his desk wow. okay, okay. All right. so even though uh, and yeah. so it was that sort of transition between one generation to another yeah, okay um, and and so it was look how's my style going to work versus gym style etc cetera, etc cetera. but it was easy and uh, again Coates was just this huge challenging but unbelievably fun job again I, I mean I have been very lucky I've, even though I've, I've elected to be the corporate warrior mm. all the way through uh, just truckloads of fun and running these jobs and and again like guys that uh, like lots and lots of um, of uh, blokes in a very industrial yep. sort of business yeah, all over the country yep. you'd find yourself you know one week in one fortnight period we were here in Melbourne and it was 22 degrees then we we're in the Pilbara and it's 42 degrees yeah. and then we we're in Aberdeen in Scotland where we had a business and it was two degrees you know yes. and uh, and it's one of those, it's a very hands-on sort of business, yep. okay? I describe it, there's lots of blokes in there that I describe, uh, you know, with uh, uh, low centres of gravity with aerodynamically stable shaped bodies, right. which means they're short and fat, <laughs> <Yeah>. okay? <laughs> uh, and, um, and the technical term, people used to ask about the culture, you know, the technical term for a piece of equipment is yep. not working properly is the thing just shit itself yeah, you right. know that's the sort of culture <laughs> yeah. inside the business um, yeah. but of course it was listed again okay, that was a big plus for me to, to be running yeah. a listed company and a big listed company at that um, and so that's a real you know sort of if you're in the, the corporate warrior space again okay, yep. that's obviously one of the things you aspire to is to, to be running a, a, a listed company and that has with it lots of upside and lots of downside the, the upside obviously is is there is a profile that goes with that um, which yep. unashamedly can be good for your ego uh, the money is there if you're performing um, and mm. and you are in the spotlight the the downside is you are in the spotlight so yep. everybody knows everything about yeah, it you. depends which Google article you click you might get a favorable one or unfavorable I was doing a bit of research yeah uh, correct so you in. get lots of stuff yep. that's good bad and indifferent everybody knows how much you get paid yeah. again, so, <laughs> that's all so over the you, don't, you don't even <laughs> think about the fact you go and visit your, your neighbors and all the rest of it and and they you don't even think that they, hey they know how much you earn yeah so um and but it is good and it's interesting i um i uh just a couple of years ago i was having a, a coffee with uh, tim barrett who's the chief of navy okay yep. um and uh 
And he said, oh, Malcolm, we have actually met a long time because we both did the company director's course together ah, up in the Blue yeah. Mountains in Sydney. And uh, he said, oh, should I always remember you? Okay. He said, you know, there was one question they asked and you seemed to be the only guy in the room that, A, knew the answer and just went, nailed it straight away, etc. Yeah. And then you said at the end of the course that it had just been made public, you were going to Coates High. And he said, oh, I thought that this Jackman dude, he, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So I bought a whole lot of shares and ah. coats. I did very nicely out of it. Thank you, Malcolm. And a lot of people did because the yeah. share price just went through the roof. Yeah. Uh, and we grew the company, did lots and lots of acquisitions, some small, some big, uh, changed the culture. It was in, in it, it's a great business. I had a lot of fun mm. in that business. And, and, and this was at the time of the res or the start of the resource boom, or yeah, it was. So, so it was post I came in 03. You know, we the company had really struggled post the Olympics and Y2K, which most people have forgotten about yep. now. Yeah, um, and the introduction of the GST and things like that. The, the company had gone through a bit of a really tough time. Jim had struggled with uh, the balance sheet, um, but we were able to turn the whole thing around and, and we just had a cracker time. It really was uh, a great business. We grew, share price went up about threefold over five years. And we got taken out in, in what was the largest private to, or public yeah. to private deal when Carlisle and Seven, which was basically Kerry Stokes with the West Track, cat business yep. uh, took out the company and took a private um, and so yeah. that was uh, sensational for all the shareholders of which I was one um, and obviously very good for the, yep. the, uh, the the equity I built up in the company over that period of time and was really good for the company um, and about six months after that you know by mutual agreement they wanted to do things yep. with the company it is the always a challenge when You've built something where, and you know, private equity wants to yep. take things, cha chop and change it, etc. So I moved on from that. Um, yep. And in the process again of looking around as to what I was going to do, bumped into one of the, the, the managing partner for Egon Zender in the, in the street in, uh, in Sydney. And uh, I just noticed in the paper, I said, Oh, the, I see the boss of. Futurus is uh, yep. is going to be showing the door, and they'll be looking for a, a new thing there. Do you know who's handling that job? And he said, "I am." And I said, ah. "Well, put me on the list, okay?" <laughs> and he said, "Chris Figger said, yeah, 'Yeah, I'll do that, okay.'" And so a couple of months later, there I was as yep. the uh, the boss of uh, Futurus, which which obviously owned the elders' business yep. and a whole lot of other businesses. So this is a very different. I guess time and you know growth trajectory is maybe manpower and yeah. Um, so and like quotes. so, elders or futurists as it was at the time was there uh, clearly had gone through this acquisition phase where they bought all sorts of interesting mm. businesses, some of which related, some of one. It was a true conglomerate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and um, it. The, the board had decided they were looking for an owner, operator, chief executive. So they want yep. somebody that would own and run the business, not necessarily just be in acquisition mode with new things, etc. And clearly, again, that's when that yep. that multi, that big sales network, the high transactional, mm -hmm. low uh, dollar value, low margin style business 
that played into to my hands. And, yeah. and they, you know, it's, it's actually very rare to find people that have run big networks in Australia. There's not yeah. that many people. Most people are running a, like in a building like this where everybody's on the same floor or two yeah. floors or they've got a branch in yeah. the major cities. They don't have 500 odd locations and all that sort of stuff. So right. it's, that's an unusual a cost. So, I went there, but I started two weeks after Lehman Brothers failed, okay? Right. Um, and, um, and I'd already knew the balance sheet was under a bit of stress because when you looked at all the research reports from the, the uh, sell-side analysts, you could see that, uh, mm. that nobody could quite agree what the balance sheet looked like and were, were the hybrids on balance sheet or off balance sheet. And there was a whole lot of yep. flash work around the balance sheet. But uh, post Lehman Brothers, the GFC hit real big time. Credit started drying up. And right. we were in a cash bind almost right. immediately. Okay. So this is straight into the job. And straight into the job. <laughs> there you go. I mean, Good I luck. planned a holiday and, uh, and I sent Kristen and our, our daughter, her daughter, my stepdaughter, they disappeared to Europe and I said, I'll catch in London. I've got to go yep. and spend the first week there and then I'll catch up with some investors while I'm there and then I'll finish out two week or three week holiday. I got two of the three weeks, etc. But yep. I remember being in New York and watching uh, Greenspan talking on television and they had the, uh, the, the New York ticker running behind them right. and it just went down and down oh and God. down and yep. down. And, uh, and so it it was there is absolutely the the military term for thing this is yep. is clusterfuck okay <laughs> that's when things are in real thing so it was yep. a complete shit fight right from the the word yep. go uh particularly around the balance sheet um and we really struggled for the whole time i was there we really struggled february we we had to plead with the banks to make payrolls so it's only four months after i've started um, and uh, we recapitalized and we refinanced, etc. And we started, you know, like, I mean, within six months, you know, the banks were lining us against the wall and right. cursing and swearing the shareholders. Nobody liked us at all. Um, and we went through that whole period to where the company is right now today in great shape, survived and all the rest of it. Um, and we went, in my period there, we went from where the banks thought I was the absolute bad guy to when, mm. in the last round of financing, I was an event of default in the, uh, in the finance documents. So it, yeah. I didn't say, then they had the right to call every loan on the day. So I'd sort of, eventually, everybody was convinced management knew yep. what they were doing and we had a much better chance of getting them out of trouble. So I think the great thing about, you know, we sold lots of business, divested lots of business. We re regretfully restructured multiple times and took out large numbers of heads yep. and all the rest of it. But I think the thing I'm, you know, the company is alive and well and kicking. Yep. Uh, a lot of my senior management team is still there. I'm still very friendly with all of the, uh, mm. all of the senior guys that were there. I'd, one of them bought me lunch today. Okay, he's now one of the senior guys at Telstra. Um, and um, they, you know, the, the thing I'm proud of is the banks, the, all the secured creditors all got 100 cents in the dollar, all the unsecured yeah. creditors always got paid 100 cents in the dollar, all the farmers who we, we did agency business for selling on their behalf, the wool, the, 
uh, and, and the livestock guy all got 100 cents and everybody that got retrenched regretfully always got paid 100 cents in the dollar. Yep. Okay? So everybody got everything they were entitled to. Shareholders took a lot of pain on the way through, uh, but now it's, it's definitely on the back, way back. And look, I mean, it's a very old company. So yeah, well, it's 170 yeah. odd. 175 years, years old, yeah. It's pretty so. big, uh, sort of like, you know, you've got five years in there. But it's oh, the long a long period, you know, and it's been listed three times in its wow. journey, you know, so yep. in and out, uh, et cetera. So I then tried um, semi-retirement. Yeah. Okay. Not, How did that not go? Not for me. Clearly, okay. uh, yeah, no, no. Kristen had a couple of expressions that you know, like one was, you know, this house is not big enough for two of us. Okay, yeah. uh, get out of it. Okay, uh, during the daytime, and the other one was, you know, like I uh, you know you're used to bossing people around, but I'm just not one of those <laughs> just people. One, just not. <laughs> so uh, you we got some uh, feedback there. So, and then I got approached, would I, would we go back to South Australia, okay, uh, and would I head Defence SA, which is the, uh, uh, the government department really around attracting defence industry to South Australia, which I did for a while, uh, and then they said... Someone told I, me you're building submarines, is that a fair... Nah, no, it's really no. attracting the people to South Australia, they're going to build this, the submarines, really creating yep. the environment so people want to do that. There's a big contract out for the um, the, the Army's uh, armoured fighting vehicle. It's called Land 400. Hopefully they'll be built there too. <coughs> um, and then about a couple of years ago, uh, they were trying to reform the fire and emergency services sector and put it into one agency, which yep. didn't work. Okay, And I got tapped and said, would I go there and try and do a lot of the, the things they're trying to do in terms of efficiency behind the scenes? Okay. Um, and uh, that just seemed like something I, I really, I wasn't particularly enjoying uh, some of my working relationships at, yep. uh, in Defence SA, uh, upwards into government. And so I took this job and I've been there ever since. Yeah. Um, so it's really, Defence SA is the back office. We do all the back office for all the frontline agencies, Metro Fire, Country Fire and SES. Uh, we yep. have the strategy and policy and governance and risk plate and uh, we provide guidance and, and uh, policy for government on emergency management. Um, so, And how have you found sort of moving from, you know, commercial, public traded or public owned yeah. businesses into government? So um, they are very, very different. Okay. So firstly, um, the commercial enterprise is around uh, looking after customers and shareholders. Okay, yep. um, and it's very outcome focused. Uh, government has a much, much higher focus around process. Okay, um, and that's driven to a large extent around risk because the media bays for politicians' yep. bloods incessantly. Okay and uh, the political cycle is driven by a 24-hour news cycle and you see it all the time. Mm. Um, and so b politicians and governments are risk adverse, okay, and therefore they like people to really focus on process. Now, a yep. lot of people in government therefore think the process is the end of everything. It doesn't matter yep. what the outcome is, so you do end up with that mentality. I think the other thing is, is, is the government is around meeting community expectations and providing public value to the, the community. You've got to have a mandate to do things. You've got to deliver what the community wants, okay? Um, 
and that may not necessarily be a commercial outcome. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't be doing things in the most effective, efficient, you should be driving for, for management efficacy inside uh, mm. government um, and all those sorts of things, using best practice and all the rest of it, but a commercial outcome is maybe not what you're looking for, you're looking yep. for a community outcome. Yeah, um, great. And sometimes people, people get confused about some of that stuff and say, so why can't we run it on a commercial basis? Yep. Well, yes you can, but you know, schools and hospitals and prisons and fire services and police forces yep. can't be, they need to be run commercially, but they don't need to be run on a commercial basis. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay, makes sense. So we've kind of come back to, I guess, where we started, which was at the end or current day. Yeah, and so that, so with that sort of range of experience, you know, yep. uh, like, I mean, I get paid sort of, let's say, 30, 40% of what I used to get paid, 30% yep. so of what I used to get paid as a public company CEO, okay? That doesn't worry me at this stage of my, my life. Yep. And, and that's why I mean a bit about community service. Whilst sometimes it's not recognised, you bring this wealth of experience and background and things to uh, the role that allows you mm. to, to sort of work your way through it. So I, I find I can be very, very efficient Okay, because uh, just all that experience ca cuts in, and yep. you work out this is a better way of doing things, etc., etc., etc. And I think the grey hair and uh, works for you. And I think mm. you know, within government, people say, well, you've run a couple of large public listed companies. There's something about yep. this rooster that's different to, to to the rest of us. Okay, um, etc. On the way yep. through. Good, good. Um, all right, so we might just uh, get into some of the uh, core mentalist questions yeah, at the yeah. tail end, which, which you'll know now after your <laughs> thousand k's driving through South yeah. Africa. Uh, so we'll kick off with maybe, you know, advice to yourself. What would you... Yeah, so look, uh, it's interesting. So, um, uh, you know, in this, this great career, I've managed to find myself married three times, which... Uh, uh, is is interesting um, and um, so I think the um, I should have listened to the swans no dickhead policy a yep. few more times on the way through okay um, but I think the the professional advice I would give to people is get accountability for the balance sheet and the cash flow as soon as you possibly can in your career okay so we all start off in sales as sort of roles and, and you know yep. and so you've got the top line then you become a manager and you get yep. some bottom line responsibility australian companies by and large are relatively small okay uh even big companies in australia yep. are relatively small and so things like tra treasury and balance sheet tends to sort of gravitate back to, to, to the head office yep. and the CFO and the treasurer or whatever, they get to manage all that sort of stuff. So you don't get this focus on the balance sheet in terms of efficient use of capital. You don't get this balance, this focus around cash is absolutely king. Okay? Yep. So, you know, at Manpower, we were running a $400 million company, okay? But yep. Treasury was all provided out of Milwaukee in the US, okay? And yeah. so you, you sort of manage your cash, but you don't have the balance sheet. So 
Um, going to, to Coates was the first time I had true balance sheet and cash. And, and I'm a, what you learn when you've been through an elders is all the, the uh, corporate undertakers, they're all focused on the three-way model, which is P&L, balance yep. sheet, cash flow. And so the sooner you can get responsibility for those three together in your career, yep. the, the sooner you really have total control of the organization or the entity that you're actually managing, okay? Um, and so I wish I'd had earlier control of that, okay? Um, because, you know, yep. uh, it comes as a rude shock when you find yourself in some of the situation you found yourself where yep. Cash is absolutely king, and and businesses don't go broke because they're not making a profit. They go broke because they run out of cash. Yeah, sure. is that um, sort of that strategy? Is that how you've? Is that has that led to you being known as the turnaround merchant? Yeah, I think there's part of that, but again, you know, even going back to those early days in Manpower where we yep. ran out of cash on the side. So you know, you suddenly realise growth comes with a penalty, and the penalty right. is demand for cash. If you want to grow like we were then at 10% of, let's say 10% a week over an eight week yep. period, you know, your business is almost doubling in two months, okay, yep. which is what it did, is the temps just poured onto the books as, as the, the pre-summer wind up happened, etc. Um, and in that temp business, you know, you get a timesheet in on a Monday for last week, okay, yep. electronic or paper, whatever. You pay the temp by Wednesday, you invoice the client mm. on Thursday, but you, you've paid right. for everything before you've even cut the invoice for okay. it. Okay, it's not yeah. like somebody's giving you inventory on a 30 day and you're invoicing yep. in 14 days. You're paying for your inventory before you invoice it. So, so as you grow, the demands for cash just right. go. <laughs> Yep. And 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 so again inside elders, you know, we we had a slogan around the only things that were important, three things that were important: salespeople, yep. cash, you know. Yep. And we just hammered yep. the cash message day in, day out because unless we got paid, mm -hmm. you just couldn't fund things. Yeah, no, m makes sense. No, thanks, thank you for sharing. Um, so the ne the next one is just around some habits. Um, so I'd be really, I mean, yeah. I. I don't know if they're related to elders and I mean that huge, that huge um, yeah, so that I've role got, you took uh, on. So I've got three sort of little things about yep. this. When in my early days as a salesperson, I rem always remember one thing somebody taught me, and I don't even know who taught me, called HIA, yep. okay? So I always, it's the housing industry of Australia, yep. it's one abbreviation, <laughs> but what it stands for me is habitual intelligent action, okay? okay. So doing things as a habit, making sure they're intelligent and making sure they're action biased, okay? So that's a, yep. a discipline that you get into, okay? Am I doing smart things? Am I doing habitually? And am I doing things all the time? Yep. But from a personal point of view, and I say this to absolutely everybody, and I don't care whether you want to be a Brickies labourer, okay? or a rocket scientist or the biggest CEO in the country. There's only yep. four things you need to do right. that that will make you successful. And you should be teaching your kids this, again, yep. right from the get-go. First thing, and I'll explain why. The first thing is always say please and thank you. Secondly, always arrive on time. Thirdly, always do what you say you'll do. And fourthly, always start what you finish. Now the reason why those are important, so always saying please and thank you, 
forces you to be polite and pleasant. People want to deal with nice yeah. human beings. They don't want to deal with assholes, okay? Yeah. Uh, and you get lots of people are fear, fearful of their boss, okay? Mm. You don't need to be a, a, a tyrant to, to be demanding, okay? And we'll cover that in a minute. But yeah. So being polite. Arriving, always arriving on time, okay, means mm. you value the other person, okay, as much as you value your own time. Yeah, okay? you were so, on time today, so, so I appreciate I, that. I fret <laughs> about that. So I'll tell you a funny story. Back in uh, November of 1970, so it's a long, okay. long time ago, we were on the, my first overseas ship on a, a trip on a Navy ship, and we arrived yep. in, in Suva in Fiji in the... Uh, yep. Uh, as was the thing, they always had a cocktail party for both local dignitaries yep. and all the rest of it, etc. Anyway, we turned up, the cocktail party started at 6.30, 18.30, okay, so it's say, or one bell and the second dog watch, okay, and um, we turned up as young, bright young midshipmen at 18.30. A couple of guests had arrived a bit early, okay. Right. The captain had gone absolutely ballistic, shut, shut down everybody's leave, okay, and he said, you know, in my world, okay, you're always five minutes early. Right. If you're only four minutes early, you're a minute late. Right. Okay. And that was a discipline I learned, and I've been, I'm, I fret about being late. Okay. Wow. So, because I think other people's time. Then the yep. next thing is is always do what you say you'll do. So people don't want people to mm. make promises they won't deliver on. So if you can't do it, don't promise it. Yeah. But if you do say you're going to do something, do it. Yep. Okay. It's as simple as that. Okay. Uh, and you shouldn't need to follow. And then the other thing is finish what you start because okay, people want finishers. They want completers. They want people to get things done. Okay. Yep. Um, and so even when you make a promise and you start and then you discover how hard it is, okay, that's not an excuse yep. for giving up. You've just got to get it done. Okay? Yep. And so I reckon if, if, if we taught our children those sorts of things, okay, uh, they'd be really good. From a professional point of view, you know, uh, and as a leader, um, I, I just have this philosophy that it's a leader's responsibility to create a culture of mm. accountability and expectation. Okay, so if you want an organisation yep. to perform, you've got to create that that uh, accountability and expectation. By that I mean, you know, everybody in an organisation should know what they're responsible for, what yep. they will be held accountable for, and they should put their hand up if they don't have the authority to execute on that. But people need to know what they're accountable for. Yep. But that's different to actually understanding what the boss's expectation or your leader or your manager's or the shareholder's expectation is, okay? Mm. Knowing what you're accountable for is one thing, but what do people expect out of you? So I sort of make it my business to make sure that everybody actually understands what my expectation is. Yep. Um, and so you get that, you know, and they say, you're happy with that outcome? I said, you know me well enough to yep. know that if I wasn't happy, I would have told you, okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that expectation builds all the time, okay? Yeah, sure. Um, oh, thanks thanks for sharing that. Uh, just It's just so simple. It makes... It know, is. You know, it is. And look, most things... Is, look, I'm a reasonably intelligent man. I'm not... I'm no, you know... Uh, Nobel yep. Prize winner or anything like that. 
But at the end of the day, the more you can simplify things, the easier they, they yeah. actually are, because the easier they are to do on that habitual intelligent action yeah. thing. You know, if things are really difficult and complex to do, and that, then you actually don't. Einstein has this quote around, you know, yeah. like if you can't explain the complex in simple terms, you don't understand the complex. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, I, I like that one. That's what. That's probably a good segue, Einstein, into quotes. Oh, now, so I usually say quote, but I know you're. Uh, that's plural. Well, uh, so. it will be plural. But, uh, so I'm a. I'm a student of the philosophy is that that quotes allow you to plagiarize the experience <laughs> of humanity and get away with it. Right. Okay. <laughs> so if you quote somebody, then you can everybody can uh, um, believes you, etc. So, so, but interesting enough, I've got some quotes for you. So, so one I like uh, most is a Latin quote, and, okay. and, and there's no known name to it, but is uh, Amat Victoria Curum, okay? And okay. that means victory loves preparation. So I did actually study Latin for three years at yep. high school, believe it or not. Oh, okay. well, you can claim that as your own quote. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> victory loves preparation, and that says everything. There's a, there's a movie called The Mechanic, yep. which is about an assassin, a hitman, and he has that engraved on his gun. Okay? Ah. Um, and so I love that quote. Okay? Yeah. Uh, another one I really like is uh, one called, which is, is attributed to George Bernard Shaw, and I call it the unreasonable man quote. And it is, uh, a reasonable man adapts himself to the environment. An unreasonable man adapts the environment to himself. Right. Yep. All progress depends upon unreasonable men. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I left my time at uh, Manpower, uh, they had that engraved on a brass oh. plaque. Yep. And they said to Malcolm Jackman, a truly unreasonable man. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so I, I really like that. And the other one is, again, no attributable thing, which really came from the, uh, the, um, the Elders' Day. And, and it comes, it's attributed to the French Foreign Legion in uh, North Africa. Right. And it comes out of a movie, and I don't know how much of it is, is truth and myth and all the yep. rest of it. But the quote is, march or die. Right. Okay, and that was meant to be the the, the quote for the, the Foreign Legion in right. in North Africa. And it says everything about, you know, like you've just got to keep moving forward. If you don't, you will die. And and when we're in the depths of despair in, in elders, that was one of the yeah. things, you know, like you've just got to keep going. You can't stop. Okay. Yeah. Kristen said, why don't you just quit? And I said, that is just not an option, okay? Yeah. Um, and this guy, who's very senior now in Delstra today, said, you know, like, I mean, people ask about Elder and say, well, look, it, it is just because mm. Malcolm would never stop. Malcolm would never quit, okay? And he made all of us, okay, keep going, okay? Um, so, go there. Now, the other thing better than quotes is speeches, of course. Yes. So you could add this to the mentorist. I could. I'm, I'm always the way, open to feedback. The way so, <laughs> so I have, uh, and I'm not going to go through them today, but there's, there's two wonderful speeches which are great for leaders, okay? okay. Uh, and one is uh, from Shakespeare's Henry V uh, yep. called the St. Crispin Day speech, and it's a speech 
on the eve of the uh, the, the Battle of Argincourt. Okay, right. uh, you will remember because you will have heard one of the phrases of it, which says, "We few, we happy few, we band of brothers." Okay. Uh, right. and, you would have, and there was a there was a TV series called the the Band of Brothers, okay, yep. uh, set in World War Two. But we few, we happy few, we Band of Brothers. So if you read the speech, okay, yep. and then you go to Wikipedia and and any and lots of people will give you interpretations of the yep. speech. It is a it is an unbelievably powerful speech, and I've delivered it a number of times in in conferences to. Great. To, to, to great effect, okay? Great, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll find it online and I'll link to that on the And then the notes. other one is uh, the speech called The Man in the Arena, which is from Teddy Roosevelt, who was the, the US president back around yep. the beginning of the 1900s, okay? Uh, and, and that is about leadership uh, and being the leader. Uh, yep. And that too is an immensely powerful speech for leaders to, uh, to, to have a look at. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be sure to. Um, so yeah, haven't, maybe I'll, I'll have to ask people what speeches <laughs> they uh, they recommend as well. Well, I noticed one of your uh, one of your uh, guests talked about Eleanor Roosevelt and yep. and how powerful she was. Uh, and and I think if you like quotes and you like speeches, uh, as I said, it does allow you to plagiarise yeah. the the experience of humanity. And, and it does have a lot more gravitas if you say Einstein or you say Winston Churchill or yeah, JFK or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And, yep. you know, it's not quite the same when you say Pauline Hanson or something <laughs> like that. But uh, <laughs> That's true. That's a whole other podcast, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah uh, political podcast. I think yeah. Yeah, you might lose your audience a lot quicker that yeah, way. Yeah, I think they'll drop off if yeah. uh, we get certain people on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, that sort of, I guess, you know, concludes mm. concludes the no, interview. No, you haven't asked me about the book. Ah, oh, see, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I was just testing. No, 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 no. And there's you a look. This is interesting. There's a book, and 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 of course, it goes back to uh, um, my origin, and it's a book called "It's Your Ship." Okay. Okay, and it's by a U.S. Naval commander, a guy called Michael Aberoff, I think it, it's his name is, I think I pronounced it right, A B R A S H O F F. Okay. And he, uh, he was posted as a commander to a ship that was arguably the worst in the fleet. Right. Okay. okay. And before he uh, and left it as the best ship in right. the fleet type deal, and turned it, and it's around his journey, and it's around mm. leadership and man management. It doesn't have all these flash, you know, jargonistic yeah. stuff. It's a very easily read, readable book, and I'd read it and and really liked it, and bought some multiple copies and given it to people. Wow! And uh, and then I discovered quite by accident that at elders when they were pulling together some more branch manager training, mm. the trainers were using this as their oh. case study text. That's uh, okay. Completely independent of me, yep. okay, and they came in with the same thing. So it's a very practical, it, it is for people that are, and, and like it's different to a lot of you guests who uh, have, have kicked off their own businesses yep. and done different things. It is, but for people who are managers and want to be better managers and better leaders and things like that, it's yep. a it's a practical sort of read that book and you go, 
this is this isn't that complicated. Yeah, okay. Right. Being a good leader is, and being a good manager isn't that complicated. Okay. Um, I mean, we had really good managers and leaders long before we had MBAs. Okay. Etc. 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 And long before Google and Wikipedia and everything else was invented on the way through. So sure. uh, there's a lot to be said for for some of that. Uh, more pedestrian uh, stuff and, and how yep. it really works. Oh, fantastic. So I'm glad you know the structure of the show better <laughs> than me now. <laughs> no, well, you sent me the questions. You said, these are things. So we, and like, no. for me, all the questions, all of it was absolutely no-brainers yeah. because it was sort of, and the, the, the difficult part, you know, was, okay, given it's a really t- relatively mm. tight time frame, you yeah. know, You've, how do you get the story out exactly. quickly in in sort of bite-sized grabs that people can actually believe in and all the well, rest that, of Well, that's the thing. thing. What did you say? Well, how, much, how many years of, um, you know, corporate uh, experience did we just condense into... Yeah, so I've been that, working now. 40 minutes. So, so I've been working 47 years yeah. now, you know, and you sort of go, mm, shit, you know. And, uh, and so, you know... Your audience, I say to everybody, like you're all going to work till you're 65 or 70, okay? Mm-hmm. Because because uh, I'm certainly not giving up anytime yep. soon. You know, I think. You well, know, you the, tried to, and yeah, you got some. Uh, yeah, well, some there, stiff there will feedback. come a time where you know you sort of say, okay, I want to do more uh, things for, and and look, it's good. I've orchestrated my life. I've salary sacrificed. I get seven weeks leave mm. a year now. Okay, right. my package. Okay, yep. so I get time to go and do more of the things that I'm allowed to do. Some outside activity in terms of board. Um, I don't have to work eighty hours a week all of a yep. sudden, etc. So it is. That's why I say the late late afternoon of my career transitioning. You know, yep. from the flat out. Okay, to the sensible pace. Okay, uh, to, to to go forward. Late afternoon, I like it. And so sunset, well, you'll have to get. No, well, I didn't like sunset, <laughs> no, and I didn't like twilight. Well, it all closing. it all means like you're about to check out you've or still something. Got time and I, at no, lunch. no, no. Late afternoon yeah. means you know, like I mean, I can still see happy hour in front of yeah. you. See, late <laughs> afternoon, you know, where twilight like is. It. Should I ought to be going home to bed or something? You know. So. Yeah, oh, I like that analogy. Um, so I guess. Um, yeah, so that sort of uh, concludes the interview. So thanks for coming Perfect. in. I know you're not in Melbourne all the time, so no, I was really it's lucky. It's taken us a while to get this together, to get that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, and thanks for, I think, what was your, do what you say you'll do. So you, I think yeah. uh, when October last year, you said, yep, Dave, I'll be in Melbourne at some point and we'll do the <laughs> podcast. So it's taken us a few months. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, thanks, thanks very much. And Perfect. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Mentor List with your host, David Lewis. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to just take a few seconds to leave a rating and or comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to other episodes at www.mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.